Welcome, everybody, to the Kielbasa King Sports Extravaganza. This is Jake Kokorowski coming to you live from Madison, Wisconsin. I hope everyone is having a great week. We are really happy to have you guys aboard. Uh, this is uh, We're just waiting on the Polish rifle, Scott Wisniewski. There he is. And we are, It's we're, gosh, we're almost halfway through the college football season already. NFL's kicking up. we got a good show for you tonight. And, of course, there's baseball. This is the most wonderful time of the year. Base, you know, MLB playoffs, basketball starting to kick up, uh, both collegiately and in the NBA. We got, of course, college football with some big time sh- matchups, uh, especially next week, not necessarily this week, uh, but then also uh, the NFL and, and the Packers now coming off their bye, taking on the New York Giants on Sunday night. And uh, before we do that, just want to thank everyone for coming aboard again. Uh, and uh, make sure you guys follow us on Twitter at KielbasaKingsWI at B5Q. Proud part of Bucky's fifth quarter for all your Wisconsin Badgers news, notes, and analysis. And, Scott, you know, let's let's lead it off right off the bat. Let's talk some Packers where, you know, heading in, they're coming off their bye week, and they're facing a, a Giants team and a, a not-so-happy wide receiver in Odell Beckham, it seems. Yeah, um, <clears throat> You know, Odell Beckham still, obviously to me anyway, a dangerous receiver, great receiver, but clearly he's had some issues uh, clearing his head, um, allowing people to get in his head, allowing him to get frustrated and taken out of his game. And last year we saw the beginnings of that with with Josh Norman. And um, I've racked it up to just, you know, an isolated incident, but it seems to have carried over, and it's really affected his play. Now, as I sit here and say that, I'm, I would be, especially with no Sam Shields, very worried about him coming in because the one thing the Brewers aren't, the Brewers aren't the team that's going to get physical with him, or the Packers aren't the team that's going to get physical with him. Yeah, the Packers aren't going to uh, – uh, punch him in the mouth figuratively. They're not that type of team. The Packers have never been uh, in the Mike McCarthy era that type of team. You know, they've been finesse. They've been good. I'm, no slight to the Packers. But they're not the team that's going to necessarily get under Odell Beckham's skin. So if I'm an observer or a fan, I'm worried about Odell Beckham because I think Odell Beckham, this is a good matchup for him, again, because of the the lack of the physicality and and that sort of thing. But this is something that's going to affect him throughout the year. He's going to face tough defenses, Beckham. He's going to face teams like Minnesota, uh, like he, like he faced, he'll face uh, Washington and Josh Norman again. He's going to have to figure out how to get over this. Again, I think he gets a one-week reprieve, but I, I think it's something that you know NFL observers, coaches, players, opponents are going to be keeping an eye on and figuring out. And apparently referees are as well because they're, they're said they're going to watch to make sure that people don't go out of their way to taunt him. Beckham's been threatened with suspension and, and benching if he doesn't figure it out. It's a weird story. Like, again, 10 weeks, 12 weeks into the season last year, everybody was just basically lauding the talents of Odell Beckham and things kind of changed quickly. And, and, uh, now, now, you know, like you said, now we have this this side story. And in what's been a weird year for the NFL already, um, we'll talk more about that here briefly after we talk about this game coming up. But with ratings being down and, and some of the reasons, I think, that are behind some of it, uh, I don't know. But uh, 
yeah, it's it's definitely a weird story. Yeah, and so I mean, you kind of hit it on the head. I mean, the Giants come in here, uh, you know, one in, uh, or yeah, they're coming in two and two, two and two, two and yeah. two uh, wins against in conference wins. I mind you against the the Cowboys in the in the or, uh, no. I'm sorry. Uh, one and one in conference uh, in the division. Uh, win against the Cowboys, uh, and then a win against the Saints. Uh, but uh, stumble in the last two. Vikings handled them pretty, hand, you know, pretty well. Obviously with Mike Zimmer's defense uh, last week. Uh, or this actually, yeah. And so basically, I mean, you think you hit it on the head. I think the secondary versus a Giants offense that is fourth in the NFL in passing yards per game, 288.5 uh, per game. By the way, uh, by comparison. Packers, uh, looking at that, uh, they're 29th in the league, surprisingly, in that category. Only 193, but they average 25 points a game, while the Giants are only averaging 18.2 through uh, their first four. So that's, uh, I mean, that's you're looking at that. That that is a that is good for oh heavens, uh, 27th in the league for for them. So it's a you know I mean and obviously the Packers offense isn't necessarily rolling on all, you know, all uh, cylinders. Granted, their first, their first half against the Lions, they did. Um, but, you know, the second half was a little bit less than be, be desired. But, um, I, you know, I mean, is, is that is it the key matchup there with, with Beckham? Is it is it there with uh, – is it the passing game there, taking on the, the, the Packers secondary? There, or is there yeah. – what else is there that they should no, watch out for? That's the matchup. That's the matchup right there. Uh, running game, you know, for them, Jennings is still going to be banged up. Obviously, Vereen's out at least another eight weeks. It's going to be the secondary. Who struggled since Shields uh, suffered the concussion? The young secondary taking a step back, so to speak. Offensively for the Packers, you know, I don't think all the roles were were righted. The ship wasn't righted because they had a good first half because they had a mediocre second half against Detroit, and then they had a bye week. So, I, I I don't know that you could sit there and, and, and say, yeah, everything's fine now. Everything's fine with the Packers offense. So that is another matchup is going to be what the Packers offense is able to do um, to, against the Giants defense. That, while it's improved, they have some injuries in the secondary as well. So this could be a, a quarterback showcase, a wide receiver showcase. The Packers will be doing it, however, with Richard Rodgers and Perillo at tight end with no Jared Cook, basically been ruled out, him and Sam Shields uh, will not be able to go on Sunday. When you have uh, just with hey, – hey, let's talk about the tight ends real quick. You mentioned that. Um, Kellen Winslow Jr. apparently saying uh, on social media that he wants to play for the Packers. Uh, is that just the way to get attention? I mean, I mean, granted, it sounds like they had him in for a workout, but um, – I mean, do you think they look somewhere for a tight end? I mean, obviously they've tried tried out somebody, but what do you think? Should they or would they? I mean, should they? Yes, well, absolutely. Again, their their window of opportunity in the NFL is very small, and and they're a contender, a Super Bowl contender, so we're told. So at, yes, absolutely they should. Will they? That's not Ted Thompson's mo. If Kellen Winslow were able to go, which I have my doubts, he's been out of football for a while. Let's be honest, it's kind of far fetched. It's not like, uh, you know, Tony Gonzalez, who's only been out for like say a year. You know, it's a little far fetched. But that being said, um, even if he were willing to go, what is Kellen Winslow right now? He's not on any team, so what would that consider him? Right. He's a free agent. 
Yeah. Ted Thompson right. He's, rarely yeah. signed free agents. And, and in some ways, he got Jared Cook cheap. Jared Cook was a bargain. He waited and waited and waited, and he was there for the picking. But in some ways, with Jared Cook being injured, and if he, especially if he stays injured for a few more weeks, all this does is make Ted Thompson say, well, see, this is why I don't sign free agents, which isn't the right way to look at it. I'm 80% on board with Ted Thompson. You know, that may be 75%. I, I don't believe in breaking the bank on free agents. I don't believe in in overspending. I mean, uh, the Jaguars and the Giants both overspent uh, spent a lot of money to improve their defense, and it really hasn't shown up yet on the field. Okay, I, I do believe mostly in draft and develop. However, I do believe that when you're in a championship window, you need to go out and sign a couple guys in the offseason to fill some holes, and Ted Thompson doesn't seem to do that. Uh, even in season, they brought C.J. Spiller in for a workout let him move on and ended up signing with Seattle and he scored a touchdown last week. So it just does not fit the MO of Ted Thompson, even though I think it should, he, I don't think you're going to see it. So yeah, Kellen Winslow, I, again, that's a stretch just because of his uh, length of time out of football, but they should be looking at somebody, but they're just not. Well, how about Justin Forsett? What about Justin Forsett? That's uh, obviously a running back, um, you know, released by the Ravens. What, I mean, and yeah, obviously, so far this season, I mean, not not great in the slightest where, you know, 3.2 yards per carry, uh, played in three games. I mean, yeah, I, I mean, he's, you know, 2014 was his year where he averaged over almost five and a half yards per carry in 16 games for the Ravens. But, uh, I mean, do they even look, I mean, it, does Forsett, not, not from the free agent standpoint, but would Forsett look like someone that the, Packers could use out of the backfield where maybe a uh, James Starks isn't necessarily being a, a, as good of a compliment. Now, whether that's a, because of the play calling or something else or execution, obviously it's execution too, but I mean, does Forsett become a better compliment for like an Eddie Lacy? No, no. I mean, I guess I'd have to see him in a workout. He doesn't look like he's impressed me since he got hurt last year. He seems to have lost a step and remember, he has the one thing that you have to worry about with a running back. He's on the 30. He just turned 30. So I think he might be more of a risk. Spiller is not, any, not that much younger. He's 29. But Forsett will be 31 in a week. So, no, I, you know, again, some of this stuff could have been addressed in the offseason, to be quite honest with you, and, and probably should have been. And not even at running back. I mean, they're fine there perhaps, but – some of the holes on, uh, that they're looking to fill up linebacker and, you know, maybe if, if they were looking for, for some uh, extra depth in the secondary to, to, you know, in case something happened to Sam Shields, which it did, that's where you would probably make that. If they wanted to sign a running back to be your second or third string back, yeah, you probably should have done it in the offseason. Forsett, I don't know. I mean, I get I, – it, it certainly doesn't cost anything to bring him in for a workout, but I just don't know that it's going to lead to anything. All right, just because we don't have any uh, any Badgers uh, picks this week, uh, give me your prediction for the game. And I mean, does uh, you know they're at Green, they're at Lambeau Field, obviously. Do the Packers come back uh, with a victory to go three and one? I think they're a better team, slightly. However, here's something that um, you may or may not know: the Packers have not looked very good the last couple of years in primetime games, and. Uh, the latest one, of course, being in Minnesota three weeks ago. Um, 
it's going to be tougher than you think. I mean, here's a team that's knocked the Packers out of the playoffs twice in the last 10 years, historic losses for them. Regular season, those games have always been, been close uh, since the Tom Coughlin, though. I know he's not there anymore. McAdoo is. Since the Coughlin-McCarthy era started. Um, I'm going to pick the Packers, but, man, I don't feel good about it. I don't. Um, they just haven't been great in prime time and, and in big games, and the offense still doesn't look great. Um, but I'll say the Packers win by a field goal, but I, I don't – if this were a confidence pool, I'd put like one or two points on it, and that's about it. Oh wow! Uh, with uh, I can say going forward, uh, this week's games. I mean, you know, Packers come off their bye, so do the Eagles, uh, undefeated and looking. I mean, who would have thought that the Eagles would look so good? But it's underneath the uh, you know Andy Reid protege, the Green Bay protege, former backup quarterback to Brett Favre, and you know, uh, and, and the West Coast offense and Doug Peterson. Though I know the offenses have changed uh, since 20 years ago with that West Coast look. Uh, you know, uh, they take on the Detroit Lions uh, on on that end at noon. I'm looking at the other games, Houston and Minnesota, the other undefeated team. Uh, you know, with the Vikings. Uh, and, and Sam Bradford, who looks rejuvenated. Uh, and uh, they take on the Houston Texans without J.J. Watt, who's out for the year. Uh, best wishes to J.J. for uh, you know a, a full recovery. Uh, and, um, I mean, Cincinnati and Dallas seem like a good game. Any, uh, any ones that really pop out to you this week? Well, let's start about talk, with talking about Philadelphia. I, I talked to a friend of mine who actually covers the Eagles, and he – told me in the off season because I was giving him a hard time about the Eagles and, and uh, Wentz and all the other things. And he said, well, you know what? If nothing else, this defense is really good. And I didn't realize how good, you know, he said they were a good defense and they have been. When you add Wentz's early development to everything, they've been a good surprise. Can they win that division? Yeah. I'm not super sold on the Giants. I'm not super sold on the Cowboys. Not sold on the Redskins. I think any one of those four teams really has a realistic chance to win it all uh, in, in the East. Uh, I don't know that any of them are Super Bowl winning uh, contenders, but I think Philadelphia could win that division. Now, as I say that after their first three games and after coming off their bye week, they could go lay an egg and, and just stink up the house against Detroit. But, yeah, and right now it's so early in that race that I, I think it's a dead heat between all four of those teams. And uh, uh, do you feel bad for the Browns right now taking on New England with Tom Brady's first game back? I mean, what are you expecting out of the what are you expecting out of the Patriots offense now? What do you expect out of I mean, taking on Joe Thomas, Joe Schobert, former Badger, All Americans. Uh, Schobert's gotten some starts this year uh, underneath his belt, the fourth round draft pick, and of course Joe Thomas pretty much hasn't missed a snap in his NFL career. Uh, and uh, but um, I mean, what do you? What well, change? I mean, you know what? What changes with that? Here, you know, I mean, obviously the. Oh, go ahead. Well, here's what's going to change. I mean, Tom Brady's back, so that changes things immediately. But you'll you'll see. I think you'll see Edelman get more involved. Gronkowski's getting healthy at the right time. I think you'll see more James White. James White was one of the favorite targets um, for uh, for Brady last year in the second half of the season. Um, you'll see Brady come out with a chip on his shoulder. And I think Tom Brady will be Tom Brady. Do I feel sorry for the Browns? The Browns are 0-4. They're, you know, and sadly, you know, they have one of the top one of the top rushers in football in Isaiah Crowell. But 
They're on their third quarterback. You know, uh, it is what it is. Cleveland continues to be Cleveland, and this is just another chapter in what's been a dismal return to Cleveland for this Browns franchise. You did ask me about if there's a game that I'm interested in. I'll tell you there is one. Uh, the Falcons-Broncos game. We, I want to see how real the Falcons are. They're 3-1. and one. That offense has been phenomenal. 300 yards receiving for Julio Jones last week against the best defense or one of the top three defenses in the NFL. Best defense in the AFC, I think, especially with J.J. Watt out, out for Houston. We'll see how real this Falcons offense is now that they're going to be going against that secondary at Denver. Yeah, I, you're going up against an offense that scores 38 points per game, and that leads the NFL by a full seven seven points uh, on that end. And you're going up against a Broncos team that, I mean, you're looking at total yards. Uh, technically, uh, the defense, let's see how they're doing there. Um, bumping that up. I mean, Broncos are the – they only allow 284 yards, 283.2 yards per game. Only 16 points allowed so far, you know, per game for, for that Broncos team, and uh, that that seems like a fun matchup. That seems, and that I mean, that places them fifth in the league right there uh, the, uh, with that points per game. So yeah, it's going to be some firepower versus some firepower. I'm in, I'm looking forward to it, and um, you you do realize you, too that there are only two games that feature uh, teams with winning records going against each other. It's Packers game. And uh, I'm sorry, uh, two, uh, the Texans and Vikings and then the Falcons and the Broncos. Now, the Packers have a 500 team taking on the Packers. And I think there's another one, Washington and, and uh, Baltimore, where there's one team that's over 500 um, and the other team's 500. Otherwise, it's either a team that's, say, 3-1 and one versus 0-4, oh or there's a couple of 1-3 and three versus 1-3 and three matchups, which uh, it's just one of those weeks, I think, for the NFL. It is, yeah. And, I mean, the game right now isn't looking too pretty. Uh, watching on Twitter right now, uh, not not too great going on uh, between these two teams from what it looks Let like. Uh, I think it's, I'm, I'm not yeah, watching the game where I'm at, is, but I did read a couple things. Is the stadium half empty? Uh, let's take a look. Right now I'm watching on Twitter. It's the first time I've ever watched a game on Twitter, and it's not uh, – let me see if it's – they're only showing, and uh, yeah, this is great uh, podcasting right here on my end. But I, I'm yeah, not—they're well. not showing the fans, but they are. Oh, look at that! Blaine Gabbert completed a pass. Good for him. Um, but he no. The reason he, I uh, ask it, yeah, Kevin Seifert, Kevin Seifert tweeted out that the the stadium was half empty, and I'm like, wow. I mean, but I again, I'm not in front of a, the game right now, so. Well, it's interesting. I mean, you know, I remember, gosh, I mean, for the book, uh, you know, talking with J.J. Uh, uh, Watt's uh, high school coach, you know, like, you know, J.J. became pretty good from what it sounded like, uh, you know, decent acquaintances with, with Gabbert, and Gabbert was chosen, you know, 10th overall in that draft. Um, you know, I just wonder, you know, I mean, it's good for him that he's starting, but then again, that Chip Kelly offense in San Francisco, I mean, I, I mean, obviously hasn't produced much, but uh, what, what more can I say there? But uh, this, let's see, yeah. Oh, look at that! He's, oh, he's, they're driving. All right. Uh, I mean, of course, as I say something stupid, I they decide to uh, 
start a drive, but we'll we'll see how that ends. Uh, going on to let's talk uh, real quick about the college game. Let's talk about. Uh, obviously, it was a tough loss for the Wisconsin Badgers. Uh, 14-7 loss in Ann Arbor could have been a lot worse if not for some uh, three missed field goals on Michigan's end. Uh, but Badgers offense only 159 total yards on offense. Alex Hornerbrook, uh, a shell of his former self, what he was against Michigan State, nine of 25, 88 yards, one touchdown, three interceptions. Uh, the defense looked solid. Uh, you know, holding. Um, you know, holding the Wolverines, I believe it's right around 350 yards, but, uh, you know, four sacks, six tackles for loss. Uh, and, you know, overall kept the team that was averaging about 470 yards per game in total offense down to, you know, right around 350. Uh, did you have a chance to watch the game, Scotty, and, or, you know, or, or take a look back or replay it? And um, what were just some of your thoughts from that game? Well, I was obviously disappointed because if you would have told me coming into that game that, the Badgers were going to hold the Wolverines to 14 points, I would have thought the improbable and that the Badgers were going to win, you know, and, um, it, you know, it, it just, it was, you wonder if this is just the case of is Michigan really, you know, better than we want to give them credit for. I mean, I can't stand Harbaugh, you know that. Um, but it's kind of hard to argue. They held Corey Clement in check, um, you know, essentially, the Badgers weren't really able to get a whole lot going on. And you mentioned Hornerbrook, 9 of 25, 88 yards, 159 total yards. Again, that's really good against a, an offense that's not great, but they're not bad. Um, you know, and, and again, you take nothing away from the Badgers, who did a nice job themselves uh, keeping Michigan out of the end zone for the most part until that, you know, that one touchdown in the second quarter and then, of course, the fourth quarter. Uh, would end up being the game winner, but Wisconsin proved they're they're a way better team than than I think people gave them credit for. They've already won some games that that people didn't think they could win, but they ran up against this one. They got the bye week, and then they got Ohio State and Iowa and Nebraska. Now, if they can still, you know, if they could come out of these four games two and two, they still have a great shot to not only win their side of the division and and get a nice bowl game. But they're just in a, a, one notch below right now, Michigan and Ohio State. And, and I think you saw that on Saturday because they, you know, Michigan's going to blow a lot of teams out. They weren't able to blow out Wisconsin because Wisconsin's a better class of, of football team than, you know, Rutgers and Indiana and teams like that. But Michigan is just a little too much, especially at Michigan. Um, so you got to tip your hat. But um, I certainly won't mind seeing Michigan lose some games down the road. Or maybe not. Maybe you want the Badgers to win out and Michigan to win out. You could get a rematch for the Big Ten title. But, you know, again, I worry about long-term concerns. I worry about for the Badgers, you know, some of the injuries on defense. And, and really, um, I, I worry about the kicking game. And we didn't really, you know, see uh, that be an issue uh, because they didn't try any field goals on Saturday. But I still think in close games, not having – Having Endicott in there, I think, is going to cost them at least a game here in the season that could be the difference between them playing for a Big Ten title and, and them not. It's a possibility. I mean, he, he did hit that 41-yarder at uh, East Lansing. He did miss you know, one of the four extra point attempts, uh, which, uh, I mean, he tried to rebound, him at, rebound after that. It, the loss of Gagliannoni is, it, you know, it's maybe not even just on it. It's not because of Endicott. It's just because how – 
good Gaglianoni looked uh, to begin the year. And that's uh, you know a kicker that maybe had more of a sophomore slump uh, last year, where he still converted <laughs> two thirds of his of, of his field goal attempts. Uh, but you know, seven of eight. Next thing you know, uh, sideline of that back, which was a huge surprise. Uh, being quite frank, that was that was a huge surprise uh, with because um, it didn't appear like there was any really outside of maybe there he was limping a little bit from what it sounded like after the game uh, against Georgia State. I didn't I didn't see that personally when I covered it, um, but um, that's a tough go. I think even in the kicking game, Scott, we could even go a little bit deeper onto the punting, uh, where you know against Michigan, I mean. The, the punting game, the punt coverage, you know, they did the best they could, but uh, some of the punts, you know, uh, as much as I like Anthony Lottie, he didn't necessarily have uh, the greatest of games. I mean, a lot of line drive kicks. Uh, he didn't place two of his five punts within the 20, you know, inside the 20, which is what you want. And he has, he's a really good placement kicker, but a couple of those kicks were low uh, and necessarily not, not big and they're not, you know, not getting the hang time and the distance that you'd want. Uh, so PJ Rosowski had to go in as well. And, well, he, and, and Rosowski wasn't that much better. He was like two yards better per average. And I right. think in a game like that, when you're looking at field position, you look on the other side, Kenny Allen, 47 yards a kick or almost 47 yards a kick, 10 yards more. And those are some of the things that can make a difference in a close game where you're trying to grind out a win. So yeah, you're, I think you're right. absolutely right. Oh, not and and you have that fact too, where I mean, I guess like a positive from that game. You look at Jabril Peppers, right? This this dynamic playmaker uh, came in. I think he was tied for the in the nation or leading the nation in tackles for loss of nine and a half. He's a hybrid safety cornerback linebacker mix. This every this every you know this every back you know this amazing dynamic player who's also a punt returner. They held him uh, to you know two returns for nineteen yards and. Wow. And, you know, and so they, they, they really stopped it there, which is a, a positive sign that that third phase of the game, despite some mishandlings there, uh, some of the punt game, uh, didn't necessarily bite them, which I thought could have been crucial, uh, having Peppers return one and then break the game wide open. Um, you know, yeah. but, you know, the, the one play I'll say, you know, before we maybe we'll talk about the defense in just a second. Uh, I mean, Badgers had their opportunities, though, where if, let's say Hornerbrook connects with Jazz Peavy, and that it would have been a 77-yard touchdown pass. Uh, it was a seven route, you know, the corner route, um, and you saw the Michigan defender slip. And if, if it's thrown on the money or even directly somewhere within a couple yards, Peavy makes that catch, and you're looking at, uh, you know, a 14-7 game, and maybe Michigan changes their play calling. Maybe something happens where – you know, they, they they get a little bit more tight uh, as Brandon sure. Williams, our uh, you know the the Badgers wide receiver, said it earlier tonight on ESPN Madison here in town. Uh, maybe that that changes the complexion of the game completely. So sure. you know, I mean, but, they had their opportunities but, to win that game. No, but that's the difference between good teams and elite teams, and good teams and bad teams. Now, Badgers are a good team, and I think Michigan is nearing it being in, right now, at least this year, at an elite level. Um, but it's no different than when the Badgers say they play a team that's lesser than them. Maybe they play in Indiana or Purdue and they're able to squeeze out a win on a day they don't play very well because Purdue can't cash in on opportunities. That, that's where they are. Again, the Badgers are a good team. They've impressed me. They've been better than I thought. But I still think right now Ohio State and Michigan are the class of this league 
Good news for the Badgers is they play on the opposite side. Bad news is if they don't beat Ohio State, they have to make sure they go out there and find a way to beat Iowa and Nebraska if they want to have a shot at the Big Ten Championship. Um, But, again, they showed that they belong on the same field. They definitely belong on the same field as Michigan. But right now Michigan just a little bit better, a little bit further along. And we'll talk about the defense, too. I I also just want to quickly say what a great – because that game was awesome. I mean, from a grind-em-out, old-school Big Ten style. And then you had games like like the Tennessee-Georgia game and the Louisville-Clemson game, which were obviously a lot more higher scoring. Yeah, those were – those are some interesting games, SEC, ACC, you know, old-fashioned shootouts. And obviously the Badger uh, game reminded people of kind of the old-school Big Ten, hit them hard, you know, uh, defensive, low-scoring sort of games. Um, but, yeah, it was it was a fun week. I mean, it definitely was a fun week for, uh, for football uh, if you consider the three games that were available to people in, in, in prime time or on a national uh, national level. Absolutely, and it, that's what makes college football great. Like I, I tuned in to uh, one check out. Now this is disappointing. Where Indiana's defense is better, I mind you, but Michigan State should have won that game. Yeah, you know, in Bloomington, and, and they squandered it away. Uh, but kudos to I mean, you have to give the Hoosiers credit for trying to rebuild themselves, and now they they were credited with the win. Obviously, they get the win, but then they have to face Ohio State this weekend. And yeah. uh, but that it's disappointing for the Spartans. You know. Badgers have beaten two top, you know, top 10 teams when they were ranked that, you know, and now LSU, which, you know, they fired, uh, uh, what you would call it, uh, Les Miles, and then now they have Ed Orgeron, uh, who, who's, I think, you know, I mean, they played very well against uh, Missouri, and now their game against Florida is going to be off because of uh, Hurricane Matthew. Uh, we'll get into that a little later, too, but uh, you have that, and, uh you know, I'm I'm intrigued to see just you know I started watching that game and then I I flipped over real quick you know, in between Saturday Night Live to that Clemson Louisville game and that end of the game was just magnificent. That was just a lot of fun to watch. Um, and so, um, you know, we don't have LSU Florida this weekend, but you know I know I'll be watching Iowa Minnesota to see uh, which team in the West uh, stands up. I mean, both Badgers have to face both teams uh, coming up, uh, Minnesota at the end of the year, Iowa right after the, the Buckeyes in about two weeks. Uh, well, but then also, Tennessee, Texas, A&M, uh, eight versus nine, Tennessee coming off that big win, A&M, both teams five and oh, and obviously a tough, tough, uh, conference. I think that's the one I'm going to be paying attention to the most. Um, and that's available on CBS. So, I mean, you don't have to have cable to see that one. That's the SEC game of the week on television this week. That's going to be a lot of fun to watch, um, and, and so I, I won't actually be able to, won't actually have to cover anything. Uh, so uh, we'll have some fun there. Uh, you know, going back real quick to the defense before we wrap up and talk some baseball. The uh, that defense is just uh, rock solid. You know, you can't say. Uh, I mean, rock solid is almost an understatement. This, the, the way that they've they contained Michigan's offense, contained Leonard Fournette uh, to the extent to make Brandon Harris beat them uh, in the first game of the season. And then also, uh, granted, the Spartans' offense may not look as as stout as many people thought, but they contained them as well. Uh, and, and this defense, despite giving up two touchdowns last week, I think they've given up, what, four or five on the year only. And that's uh, something commendable on their end. Uh, and, you know, you've – it's been quite impressive just to see how 
you know, Dave Aranda leaves, Justin Wilcox, you know, comes in. People are kind of skeptical. Next thing you know, uh, this defense again. Uh, and also with Jimmy Leonard as the defensive backs coach, former walk-on All-American, uh, 10-year NFL veteran, has solidified that secondary. This this defense, I mean, for the second straight year, is uh, the strength and, you know, just the, that 3-4 scheme and the players they have in it, it's definitely what's carrying this team. And I think what will keep, the, you know, it'll give the Badgers a chance to win every game. Yeah. Yeah, I, again, I I agree with you 100%. It will keep them in every game and give them a chance to win. Um, this week it wasn't one of those times. And, you know, it's disappointing. You know, they're ranked 11th and, and 13th respectively, and if they lose to Ohio State, they could drop to the, you know, low 20s, whatever, but they'll have chances to, to get back. I, again, I think they're going to they're gonna get a chance if, if they continue the pace they're in to end up playing in at least a high-profile enough bowl game, if nothing else. So it should be interesting. I mean, heck, what you'd really like to see is if they can't beat Ohio State. You want to see Ohio State and Michigan uh, run the table until they face each other because you'd like to get one of those teams in the, the college playoff. You know what I'm saying? You know, because that just makes – the last last week, Indiana beating Michigan State hurts the Badgers, and you mentioned it earlier. Same with LSU and some of their strikes because they beat good teams – who then had some tough losses after that, and right now that makes their strength of schedule but not look as good as it should. So then the other thing you do is you root for Michigan State now to maybe knock off Ohio State or knock off some of these other teams. So that just makes that win look that much more impressive. Absolutely. So it's uh, we'll, we'll definitely preview the game coming up on uh, next week. Hopefully we'll have one of our uh, colleagues from Land Grant Holy Land. Uh, from, uh, to talk some, do our little podcast, talk uh, some Badgers, Buckeyes, and what they've seen out of uh, you know JT Barrett and and the team there, and Luke, you know Urban Meyer's bunch, and how they've it seems like they've exceeded expectations. Everyone talked about how good Michigan was going to be this year. Uh, Ohio State's just bludgeoning <laughs> opponents, and uh, so that's that'll be fun to watch. Uh, and I'll be keeping my eye out. What's up? You didn't uh, you didn't mention another game that's happening this week that you can see on ESPN. Number one, Alabama takes on a uh, surprising oh, Arkansas. Arkansas. And that's, so that's another national game you can watch. And one of the few times I will openly be rooting for Alabama, ironically enough. <laughs> uh, it'll be interesting to see how uh Arkansas sh- you know shapes up there and and how Brett does uh and, and with his with his hogs um and uh speaking of that quick plug uh make sure you guys uh we did a chance to talk with Brett Bielma for um the book project that uh, should be hopefully on bookshelves within the next week or two it's walk on this way the ongoing legacy of the Wisconsin football walk on tradition make sure you guys pre-order at kcisports.com Call 1-800-697-3756. And I, we're working on some cool things right now. I can't talk much about them. And that's, that's not just coach speak. Uh, we got some things rolling that we're really excited about. Uh, hopefully we can release some details in the next week, but uh, stay tuned. But, uh, you know, if you're looking for a great Christmas present, early Christmas present, birthday present, or you're just a good fan that wants to check out uh, some great walk-on stories and, and some uh, <laughs> so hopefully some new things that you may not have known about those that came to Wisconsin without an athletic scholarship, uh, check out Walk On This Way. Again, KCISports.com. Um, and, and 
as ex- this is how excited I am about the book. I'm going to read it even though you talk to Brent Bielma. So that, <laughs> that tells you how excited I am about this, this, this book being published and being released because I know we've talked about it along the way and some of the really cool stories and some of the great uh, great people, former Badgers, former uh, people associated with the program, and uh, it's going to be great. Um, again, Bielma aside, but uh, you actually said he was really good for you with, when you had a chance to talk with him, so... Brett, yeah, 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 Brett was really just. Uh, I mean, you know, I've said it, and I'll say it on, you know, definitely publicly too. If it wasn't for Brett agreeing to do the walk-on story back in 2013 when I wrote the long form for Bucky's fifth quarter on the walk-on tradition, the the walk-on long form is probably not written. Uh, and you know, the book is is just a you know a quick thought in my head. So you know, it was because of that he agreed to it, and Coach Gary Anderson agreed to talk with us as well. That that this kind of came to life. So uh, Brett was great uh, both times we've talked with him. Uh, so uh, you know, it, it, he 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 was just really open about things. He has some funny quotes in there too. You'll hear about Nate Tice's run against Indiana, uh, and he's he's also you know talking about just other other players like talk about J.J. Watt. Uh, and how uh, JJ first asked about how to earn a scholarship, and uh, had a couple other uh, mentions as well. Uh, that, you know, that we have in there for the, the quotes. So, you know, hopefully we can get some uh, former Badgers on, some former walk-ons on in the coming weeks to, uh, to say hi and uh, you know talk to some of the guys that we had on. And um, it's a really fun journey, and I hope you guys enjoy it. And hopefully we can announce some really cool news coming up uh, down the road. So. Uh, but, uh, you know, going ahead, though, let's look baseball as we're wrapping up the show. Uh, you know, Indians uh, Indians are playing, uh, from what I can see. I, I've been terrible with baseball. I, I'm going to be perfectly honest. I have not prepped for baseball as I should. Uh, but the Indians and Red Sox are playing right now. Indians up 4-3, top of the fifth. Uh, what uh, what have you seen out of the, the, those wild card matchups? And, and what are you thinking in this divisional round? Well, they're going to be those wild card games are two things. One, they're going to be hard to top. They were both great games, and two, just further cements why that second wild card. Even though baseball purists, and you know what, Jake, for years I considered myself a baseball purist, but uh, people were against the expansion of the playoffs. But not only has it made it exciting because it's kept more teams around and more teams alive and more teams contending, but those games were phenomenal and controversial. Uh, Buck Showalter taking a lot of heat for not bringing his closer in Zach Britton, who's had one of the best seasons for a reliever ever with an ERA at 0.53. Uh, they decide to go with Ubaldo Jimenez in a tie game. He allows two hits with one out and then a big home run in Carnacion. And some of that old school thinking is, which isn't really that old school because it only really, this thinking only started in the 90s with Tony La Russa. In the old days, closers would pitch three innings. But th- th- this whole thing where, well, we don't want to bring our closer in in a non-save situation. But maybe during the regular season, I understand preserving him and saving some innings. But it's win or go home. And you got Encarnacion, the American League home run leader, coming up. Again, as I mentioned, Jimenez gave up two hits. Didn't look shaky right off the bat with both batters. And then Encarnacion hits the game-winning home run. We talked about for it'll be talked about for a while. Baltimore fans won't be able to forget that because that's a game that they could have won or at least taken it to the next inning and see what would have happened. Flip side, 
<laughs> Madison Bumgarner is Mr. October right now. Uh, Reggie Jackson was Mr. October from a hitting standpoint. Madison Bumgarner is Mr. October uh, from a pitching standpoint. Phenomenal and what very well-pitched game. Ninth inning scoreless. Uh, Connor Gillespie, of all people, hits a three-run home run. Connor Gillespie, who's only playing because Nunez is, is nursing some injuries, gets his chance not only to start the game, but win the game with a home run in the ninth. Great games. This afternoon's game, not a baseball classic. Cole Hamill, who's been good all year until September when he started to get tagged up a little bit, just absolutely got murdered by Toronto today. And then, of course, Cleveland, Boston going on right now. I'm not watching the game. I am DVRing it. Uh, a little bit of more of an early slugfest, um, a la American League style, a little bit more. But the wild card games have been great. Now, favorites? You know, San Francisco, Chicago is going to be a good series. Now, Chicago, I still give the edge to. Yes, they're the better team, um, and people are waiting for them to fall on their face just because that's what the Cubs do. I, I think this is a different Cubs regime. I think that stigma's gone. And I think the fact that they don't have to face Madison Bumgarner until at least game three uh, helps. And the other thing that you can't take away from the Cubs, they're great young nucleus, sure. Offensively with Bryant and Rizzo and some of the other guys that are contributing, great. But that rotation's deep. They go four deep. And their four starter is as good as most teams' two starter and some teams' number one starter. So the, the Cubs have the depth at pitching, which you need. They got starters five and six, essentially, that could come out of the bullpen when you need them to save innings and to eat up innings. So yeah, I, I think the Cubs-Giants series is going to be really good. I think ultimately, though, just because of the way the pitching matchups line up, I think the Cubs come away with it there. I think Washington comes away and wins their series. I like Toronto. I like Boston. And I think you're going to see a Boston and Chicago World Series, which will be epic, just simply from the fact that they're storied franchises. The only story that would be better, and I know market-wise people won't like it, but I think the only story that would be better would be Cleveland and Chicago. Cleveland's last World Series championship was 1946. The Cubs, we already know about their last, you know, their futility talking about two teams who haven't won in 70-plus years going head-to-head. Somebody's got to win, right? I mean, they can't finish tied. Um, so that would be a cool story, but I, I think Boston's the best team in the American League, and I think you're going to see Boston and Chicago in a World Series. But, again, from a nostalgic, storyline-driven sort of uh, uh, standpoint, I'd kind of like to see Cleveland do it, but I just don't think – I just don't think they have enough to, to get past Boston here in round one. Yeah, no, that sounds, yeah, that sounds good. I trust your baseball opinion. You're the baseball guru out of the two of us there. Um, real quick Brewer news. In terms of, you know, talking about David Stearns and some of his season-ending press conference, sounds like you know, everyone's returning uh, in terms of the coaching, st- coaching staff. Um, you know, thoughts on Craig Council coming back along with that rest, rest of that coaching staff? Yeah, I, you know what? They're in the middle of a rebuild. You're not going to make a lot of changes. Uh, do I think Council's ideally the long-term guy for the job? I, I don't know yet. Uh, the coaching staff, do I think they're the best men for the job? Definitely not. I am not. That haven't been for years an Ed Cedar fan. He's a nice guy, so I know I'll get catch hell for saying that, but uh, whatever. But, you know, you don't make a change during a rebuild like this unless they would have went 50 and 112 and, and just looked terrible. But they didn't. They they overperformed uh, in a lot of people's minds. So I, I think it's a good move. 
we'll see if council is the manager, though, when they're on the cusp of contending. Um, and I don't know if we had a chance to talk about this last week or not, but we were kicking around some ideas. Remember, we, you know, I, I was vehemently disagreed with when we had the baseball roundtable back in the, the beginning of the season, and I talked about how the Brewers honestly could have been contenders, and, and I was kind of shouted down by our experts and esteemed panelists. But when you go back and you look at the numbers, if the Brewers don't make the trade with Arizona and you have Gene Segura who hit 319 and had a phenomenal season and you don't feel like you have to run uh, Chris Davis out of, out of here with his 41 home runs and you have those guys all year with this club, you pick up one or two uh, starters during the offseason, not high-priced guys, but good middle-of-the-rotation guys, right? Then you would right. then you then you're probably contending at the All Star break, so you don't deal Jonathan Lucroy, and you see that you only needed 86 wins to get to a wild card, and they finished with 73. Do you think they get 13 more wins if you have Segura, Davis, Lucroy for a full season and one or two uh, upgrades in the starting rotation? Do you think they're at least in a wild card race? Now I know that's dangerous, because then you're playing that 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 game that the White Sox have been playing for years, where they're afraid to tear it down and rebuild. So they just kind of hang in there and they're staying a pennant race in a couple of seasons until like July and then they fall flat on their face. And it's a dangerous precedent, especially in this market. And I'm not saying that I'm not in favor of the rebuild and I trust Stearns. I do. I really do. But were they that far away from contending? I, I don't know. Um, they certainly had some, some kids in his pitching staff uh, improve as the season went on and, you know, Jonathan VR, which I know you didn't expect you were going to get that out of him, and Chris Carter, I don't think you expected him to be tied for the home run lead in the National League. But if you had those pieces plus the pieces they dealt away, and I'm not so sure they got enough in the Arizona deal. You can argue that the Chris Davis deal, you know, you got Nottingham. He's a great young catcher. But that that being said, I think if you kept the team intact in the offseason, maybe you're contending for wild card and, isn't the saying all you got to do is get in, right? Don't know. Right. Just you know, just kind of throwing it out there, like to you know, it could you know, it could go either way. Who knows? Maybe in Milwaukee, maybe Davis wouldn't have had that kind of year. Maybe, I mean, who knows? But it's interesting to think what could have been. You could have had a 41 home run guy in Chris Davis, a 41 home run guy in Chris Carter, in the middle of that lineup with Braun with Lucroy. And with a Gene Segura who is red hot, who looks like he's come all the way back from some of those personal issues, put on some muscle, and was slugging the ball all over the place. It could have been. It just could have been interesting. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, no, yeah, it, it, I'm not discounting that at all either. I think you had a, a great call out there, and um, you just kind of tell where where they're at, where um, that team, where where they're at with that team, and and kind of what they want to do. So, um, on that note, um, anything else you want to break down before we, um, take, before we, uh, count it for a night? <coughs> no, actually that's, uh, that seems to be about it. Um, the other brewer news is they're redoing all the concession stands and, and, uh, you know, making some, some improvements, some new items, uh, a little bit more stuff for foodies as well as, you know, baseball, uh, traditional, uh, appetites as well. So that'll be interesting. It's one of the biggest undertakings structurally at Miller Park, the biggest since it was built. So hopefully one of my biggest complaints about the Brewers this year wasn't about their on-field play. It was about 
the overall fan experience at Miller Park, I think, has gone down. And I think they got a little bit too comfortable when they were contending or at least getting two and a half to three million people in the park, and they stopped taking care of uh, some of the things, taking care of the fans, taking care of some of that stuff. That seems to be uh, changing. I think they've, they've noticed that. They've gotten a lot of comments about lazy ushers who don't pass out uh, all-star ballots and um, food prices, and, and they took away the, the refill on the soda after their epic collapse a couple of years ago. And uh, late, at, what's the word? Disconnected parking lot employees who don't even pay attention. Like the fan experience sucked this year. I'll be honest with you. It sucked. Um, and it had been getting worse for the last few years. So hopefully that changes. Because when you're in the middle of a rebuild, I'm okay with some losing baseball and some growing pains. I'm okay with that. I'm still going to come out and support the team. But don't make me feel like a chump when I come out there and spend my money. Don't make me feel like, like it's inconveniencing you to service us or to give us an experience that's at least decent to, to, to bring our family to. Because I'm going to support you through this. But don't make me regret it. Don't make me feel bad about coming out to the ballpark. So hopefully that will change for the Brewers. Hopefully it will be a change in the right direction. Um, while they go through this the next two or three years, trying to figure out if they're contenders or not, at least make it an enjoyable experience for the fans. On that note, guys, thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, Scotty, you got anything else? I think that's it. Is that it that we got? That's it for me. That's good for me, too. Guys, thanks for listening. Next week, we'll talk Packers. We'll review Packers-Giants. Look ahead to their next matchup. Packer, uh, Badgers, I should say, at home against Ohio State in one of the, uh, one of the, night, one of the, know, one of the rare nighttime games you'll see at, at uh, Camp Randall Stadium. Should be a good – should be a lot of fun uh, to, to watch. I'll be there covering the game with uh, Kurt Hogue. Uh, for Bucky's fifth quarter, uh, and you know, make sure we'll have the, we'll preview the game uh, and take a look at what Ohio State did against Indiana, uh, and then on top of that, talk more baseball playoffs, uh, mix in a little bit more here and there, some Bucks possibly. Uh, we might have a guest coming on, one of our friends, uh, Tony Cartagena from ESPN Wisconsin, hopes to join us uh, next week, so uh, we'll set up some times there uh, for the Polish Rifle. Scott Wisniewski, this is Jake Kokorowski. Thanks for listening to the Kobasa King Sports Extravaganza, brought to you by Bucky's Fifth Quarter, Doza Pachenia. Accordion solo, American polka, played by Mr. John J. Kimball, Edison Record. <laughs>